Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows VR training platforms like ForgeFX help students master their skills. There's a big learning curve with welding. Virtual reality simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. Hello and welcome to Baseball Barbacast, the only baseball podcast in the world that sits at 100 miles an hour. We're not touching it. We're sitting it. I'm Jake Mintz. That's George Schusterman. And we chuck gas. Do not worry about our UCLs or our vocal cords. We can sit 100 for this entire podcast. No trouble. And my UCL is already torn. So who cares? Uh, on today's <laughs> Yeah, what's the difference? On today's show, we're going to be talking about Guys who throw 100, we have a very special guest, lefty for the Tampa Bay Rays, Shane McClanahan, will join us. Very funny conversation with the hefty lefty, Uh, but that's not the only 100-mile-an-hour chat we'll be doing today. No, we're going to talk about Hunter Green's extension with the Reds. He throws harder than just about anybody. We're going to talk about Mason Miller coming up for the A's. I know the A's. Who who the hell is this? Talk about throwing gas. You will hear about Mason Miller later on in the show. Uh, and then we're going to lead with Otani. And then we're going to talk about someone who has never thrown 100 ever in his life, despite being one of the best pitchers of all time. That is Clayton Kershaw. Uh, but yes, that's the general rundown for today's show. At the end, yes, we will talk about Fernando Tatis Jr. because he's about to play Major League Baseball tomorrow. But let's begin uh, mere miles from your apartment in New York City, Jake, because Shohei Otani was in town. Shohei Otani hit a home run. You saw it. The Yankees fans were sad. Uh, and uh, it's it's every anytime Otani's in town, it's a big deal. It is a huge deal. Usually when you do clubhouse access, like when you go down to the away clubhouse, the Yankees beat reporters don't do the away team clubhouse because they're focused on the Yankees and Aaron Boone is usually talking at that time. So they'll go out and they'll watch Yankees batting practice while the away team who hits batting practice after does clubhouse access. So you very rarely see like that big group of people in the away clubhouse. Yesterday, that was different and it wasn't just for Gio Urshela. Everyone piled in just to like get a maybe a glimpse of Otani now, Otani did not show during Clubhouse because, duh, like, why would he? And he, there was no chance he was ever going to show. But, like, just to see the people in the space they aren't usually in was just an indicator that something was different, right? And then you go out for batting practice and there's way more photographers. And as Otani's, like, coming up the tunnel for batting practice, you hear murmurs and there he is, there he is, and, like, the flashbulbs. And it's just a whole... Show it's like you know, almost like a, a an important foreign president or something. In a way that is singular, like there's really no other player in the league that has that kind of, oh my god, there he is, right? I guess Judge in certain road cities, I'm sure, especially ones that he's maybe not in all the time. But Judge at this point at Yankee Stadium, he's he's there, he's going to be there, like yeah. he's the guy. I mean, of course, fans, he's still a big deal and he's still the best player and all these things. But it's not an event every time he moves somewhere. Correct. <laughs> so whereas Otani, it's that is that everywhere. Yeah, and like every all these kids have signs like Otani, it's my dad's birthday. All he wants is a ball from you, you know, things like that. And because he needs his own peace, he doesn't, he can't react and sign and respond to everything. Like he's literally showing Otani. So that's the experience of kind of seeing him. And then you know after, so he homers during the game, first at bat, horrible pitch from Clark Schmidt. Hits it 116.7, fourth hardest hit homer of his entire career. Zip, boom, bang, whatever. Cool. Yeah. Duh. Uh, I love that for this series, by the way, he's just a faster version of like Edgar Martinez because he's not pitching, right? When he's not one out of every three series, Otani does not pitch, basically. Mm-hmm. And so he just becomes like a really hot, fast DH um, oh, yeah. who's really good. 
Yeah, right? no, but, he's the he's the sexiest DH in all the land. And, exactly, uh, and it's it's right. And watching him run is is something that is constantly, I think, brought up as an underrated feature about him that you're not just watching him slug, watching him move, literally watching him move is a marvel because he is enormous. If you've never seen Shohei Otani in person, you do not fully grasp how physically imposing this guy is. Um, and just the his shoulders just go on forever. Right. We talked about this at one point, like. His shoulders are so big, it makes his head look small. Like his head is too small. His head looks tiny, but no, his body is just wider. <laughs> yeah. I don't, his head's probably pretty normal size. Would love to know the fitted cap size. That feels like something that is like really important information. Like I'm sure yeah. maybe the Hall, the Hall of Fame probably knows, right? Because I'm sure they have a bunch of his hats. But I would love to know what, what, uh, what hat size to kind of dispel the small head myth. That is just because of his giant shoulders. So the Otani coming to Yankee Stadium annual, you know, pilgrimage is the yearly opportunity for drunk guys from New Jersey to come to the stadium and scream future Yankee at the guy, right? And so because of that, it is always like a, a you know, kind of a wet dream opportunity for irrational Yankees fans. But this year it has the added weight of he's a free agent now. And like in a year's time, he very well could be on the Yankees. And this could be his last time playing in Yankee Stadium, not in pinstripes. However, one of my takeaways from seeing him in person around the whole Yankee world is that I don't believe in a billion years he's ever going to sign there. And I might end up looking like that clip of Skip Bayless talking about Johnny Manziel, you know, <laughs> saying he's the greatest quarterback ever. I could be wrong. <laughs> you know? Or the Colin Coward being like, move over, LeBron. Ben Simmons has arrived. <laughs> which, honestly, not as bad of a take as Johnny Manziel, which is Correct. Because um, Ben Simmons was there. Was at least. good. He, he was had really physically arrived. Anyway, I here are my two reasons, okay? And they're pretty simple. One, it's cold. Mm, good start. Agreed. Two, it's noisy and hectic. And I'm not trying to paint Otani as this like can't handle it guy because he he's can not handle that. anything. He can I handle anything. I'm not worried about what he that. can handle. <laughs> it's what he prefers. Yeah. Right. This guy chose the Angels. And the more I've thought about it, this is probably a longer conversation. I actually think he maybe did make the right choice by picking the Angels, even though they haven't won. Like he clearly was in an environment where he was comfortable enough to become what he's become. Mm -hmm. And I think that gets overlooked. And I think that the angels and that environment actually deserve a little bit more credit for that. But he picked it orange County because like it was relaxing. It was serene. It would allow him to live the life he wanted to live. And I just don't see it in a, a scenario where he doesn't go to the Dodgers or Padres. Like it has to be one of those two teams. Mm -hmm. I cannot imagine him opting into the mayhem of New York when yeah. he doesn't need to. Now the only scenario would be like if Steve Cohen just like pays a hundred million more than anybody else. Very but possible. Like, and very possible. Thing, right? we, we're, we're a long way away. We don't have to have the Otani but, conversation all the time, but I, I generally, I'm just saying like seeing him in, in the Yankee world, I just don't think he wants that. I, I don't think that he, like he doesn't need to be in judge's shadow. He doesn't need to play for a different cap. Like he is Shohei Otani. He is singular. And I think being on the Yankees would be, be less about him. I don't think that's the way he's thinking about it though. But yeah, just seeing him at Yankee Stadium last night really brought this up in my mind. And I just don't think I can picture him signing there. I agree. However, I'm actually going to take a rare opportunity to defend Yankees fans because if ever there was a time to put your future Yankee pants on, it's when Shohei Otani is in town months away from free agency. Like, No, I agree. It's one thing when they're doing it to like Adley you know, Rushman, like Adley Rushman or like Juan Soto in his second season, right? Or Julio or whatever, like that is annoying and obnoxious and like all the words that we ascribe to uh, these kinds of Yankees fans. However, for guys in their walk year particular time, like, yeah, like, duh, I wouldn't blame you for saying that at whatsoever. Um, so you know, it's fair. But I agree with you. That was also my takeaway. I, I would be surprised by that. But hey, guess what? I have a feeling we'll probably talk about Otani's free agency again in the future. Huh. Really? <laughs> yeah, it seems seems likely. 
now, one person who, uh, another definitely not future Yankee. How about that transition? Wow. Clayton Kershaw, Jake Mintz, last night recorded his 200th dub. Fat dub, pitcher wins, everyone cares about them. Actually, nobody cares about them until it's a big round number. <laughs> and uh, and I know we've we've talked about pitcher wins, and we know how much pitchers still do care about them. How much managers still do care about them. That is still something the managers will be like, I wanted that guy to be out there to get the win. They will still say that in 2023. That is a thing that still happens. But 200 wins is not 300 wins, but in the year 2023 is ridiculously impressive and says a lot about both Clayton Kershaw and the organization he's been a part of for his entire life. It actually is 300 wins now. <laughs> 200 <laughs> is if you the new 300. Right. <laughs> Guys are never going to get to 300 wins anymore just because of the way the game has changed, which is fine. Like, you know, we have to alter the way we think about the sport as as time goes on. Uh, but for Kershaw to get to 200 is is really remarkable. And kudos to him. Just the way that he he is aged about as gracefully as you could ask a pitcher to age. There have been some rough patches and some rough moments, particularly in October. His 2021 looked like the end, the beginning of the end, through 121 innings, 3.55 ERA. But like he threw 126 innings last year with a 2.28. Like he doesn't, he's not throwing 200 innings anymore. There's no reason for him to do that, especially if the Dodgers are just going to be in the playoffs all the time. But he's still good. Like he's still awesome. I don't. It, it's, it's wild. Amazing. And I think the fact that he has been on the same team is part of why we lose sight of it, right? With Scherzer, with Verlander showing up on these different teams and reminding us how amazing they can be at their elderly age, <laughs> relatively. It's like, oh man, he's still got it. Oh man, now he's doing it here in this setting with these teammates in this city. And Kershaw, who by the way, is only 35, you know, like he, he feels older because he has back problems and because he has had more trips to the aisle that have suggested, oh my God, his career is about to end because we've talked about Clayton Kershaw contemplating retirement multiple times in a way that we have not whatsoever with Verlander, with Scherzer, with Granke, even to some degree, uh, who just keep coming back. And I think that that's, you know, not fair to him because he is... He's obviously he still has a case for the best pitcher of his generation. And I think that he's one of the you know greatest left-handed pitchers of all time. And if he can go out like this, right? Because he does not seem to suggest that he wants to pitch into his 40s like Verlander, that he might just never be bad. And if he finishes out like, you know, David Ortiz style, just one of, one of the best years of his career, that would be fucking awesome. And uh, a nice reminder of how good he is. And while, while sometimes wins are silly... Uh, it's a good excuse to to take a moment to appreciate. I think the other thing about Kershaw, older Kershaw, that's great, is like old Scherzer and old Verlander are just still throwing hard, right? They're like Verlander is getting outs now the same way he got outs ten years ago. Mm-hmm. Well, not this year, but you know, hot gas and crazy breaking pitches. Mm-hmm. Kershaw's not like a soft tosser by any means, but he and he never had the same kind of velo that the other guys did, even at his peak. But to watch him just loop these old man curveballs by guys, right? It's like an added level of craft and artistry to it, um, which I really enjoy. Yeah, I mean, I, I I mostly agree with that. He's it's weird because it seemed like the velo was really going down. I mean, it was down, I'm looking at, you know, average fastball velo. It was down to 90.4 in 2019. And I know that that's when he was injured. This year, you know, it's at 91.3, um, which is the highest that it's been since 2020. And But but my favorite thing is, like, the pitch mix really hasn't changed that no. much. I mean, he, it's, you know, tweaked here and there. He still hasn't learned to change up. I mean, watch out for when Clayton Kershaw learns that change up. Then Amazing. it's over. <laughs> then it's over for this league, as they say. When Kershaw learns the cambio. Um, but yeah, it's you know, it's 40% fastball, it's 40% slider. Slider's really been the pitch that he's been he's been living on over the last few years, more than the curveball. I think we learned that when we did our podcast on the greatest pitch ever. Uh, that's one of the most fun conversations we had was everyone wants to say, oh, the Cooperstown curve, right? 
uh, that that is just so iconic. But really, it's the slider. That's what he gets all of his strikeouts on, and that's why he has just been able to add and subtract so ridiculously well and be, you know, the as good as he is as long as he wants to be. And and he's uh, on top of <laughs> another Kershaw thing that we, we accept it because we've been watching him do it is deception, right? It's a weird delivery. It is a weird delivery that we've taken for granted now for over 10 years, but it is also part of it that is obviously a part of uh, the degree to which he can disrupt timing. And I think that that is also a huge part of his story. Let's pivot to Shane McClanahan, another lefty, one throwing slightly harder. One may be destined for the Hall of Fame. Whoa. Whoa. No. Easy, easy. More time. (laughs) Uh, Shane McClanahan... Uh, was was happy happy. I mean, we were happy enough to get him. I mean, he's. I l- l- let's get a little background here. Um, so the Razor in Cincinnati. I got to see uh, Shane, and we had him in person. This is a, an an interview, a podcast strategy that we will hopefully be executing <laughs> several times this season, which is uh, one of us in a dugout with a player, and the other one on Zoom. That's how we got uh, Brent Honeywell, and that's how uh, we did uh, be with Shane McClanahan. So just to give you a little little behind the behind the scenes here for the the podcast producing magic. Um, but Shane's awesome. Shane's Shane's story is is really a remarkable one because you it, it'd be hard to kind of get to where he got as fast as he got in a very unique way and you'll hear him kind of talk about that journey and then you'll hear uh, about other things re- regarding Shane McClanahan's personality and, and and how he approaches pitching which I think is really interesting for somebody that throws as hard as he does so anything else on Shane before we uh, kick it to our interview yeah I don't think I fully appreciated just how much he was not expecting to be a professional baseball player mm-hmm. I think a lot of the guys in the league that's like always been their intent and they could never conceive of a life beyond that, right? Because most of them are playing elite travel ball and going to big D1 colleges or getting drafted out of high school. And their whole lives, especially the best players, like Bryce Harper was destined for this, right? Yeah. McClanahan was like, basically told us like, I was going to be a lawyer. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, and you'll, you'll hear that. But it's funny, in good contrast to, to Brent Honeywell last week. And I know Brent had a, a weird journey too through junior college, but like with his dad growing up in pro ball, like, that was his life. That was the whole plan since he was 13. Like, I am going to do this. I'm going to find a way to make this work. And for Shane, it was a little bit different. So we won't spoil anymore. We hope you enjoy this conversation with uh, Sugar Shane himself. Hey, everybody. I'm James Hinchcliffe. And I'm Alexander Rossi. And we're the hosts of Off Track with Hinch and Rossi. The racing season is in full swing, and we're breaking down all the exciting action on and off the track from the world of IndyCar, NASCAR, Formula One, and more. And by more, we mean that sometimes we just talk about whatever the hell we want, like time travel, Canadian ships, or the many reasons not to go to Death Valley. Either way, join us. Every week, we'll be here having fun. Fun's a relative term, but that's not the point. Download Off Track with Hinch and Rossi on Apple, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. All right, we are back here on Baseball Barbacast with a special guest, Jake Mintz, Jordan Schusterman, and Rays starting hurler, Shane McClanahan, the hefty lefty. Hey, Shane. <laughs> the hefty lefty. Has anyone ever called you the hefty lefty? <laughs> I don't think so. That's a good one. <laughs> okay, you are lefty, hefty uh, to be determined. Shane, thank you so much for joining us here on Baseball Barbacast. It's a pleasure uh, to be sitting uh, with you here in a baseball dugout. Now, people know you, of course, as, as hefty lefty. Maybe not not actually, but people do know you're left-handed, and people do know that you throw uh, rather hard. But let's go back to the beginning. Let's go back to before you were hefty lefty. You were little little Shane McClanahan. All right, let's go back to when you only threw, you know, uh, 80 miles an hour. All right. what? Let's take us through the journey of, uh, let's go back to high school. Let's go back to high school. Let's go uh, junior year of high school. What, what's Shane McClanahan like junior year of high school? On and off the field. Oh, God, he's a he's a skinny lefty who uh, likes ping pong and hanging out with his friends. And he didn't throw very hard, but he had fun playing baseball. Yeah, <laughs> that's, a, that's a great way to start. He didn't throw very hard, but he had fun playing baseball. But then at some point, you did start throwing hard. I, I know you, you get a, quite a, a growth spurt into becoming the, the hefty lefty that you're now known as today. So when did you get at least taller that we now know? So I got taller kind of going into uh, like somewhat junior, going into senior year. Okay. So I kind of really hit my growth spurt. And uh, weight came in college a little bit. And um, yeah, I, uh, I guess became the hefty lefty. <laughs> 
I'm curious about your growth spurt from a height perspective because yeah. was there like a moment where you had to go buy new clothing? Yeah, yeah. My mom, my mom was getting real pissed off me that I, had, I kept having to get new stuff and shoes and everything. And uh, so I'm, I'm pretty sure she was very happy when uh, I finally settled into my body and oh. stuff like that. I love the idea because you say, right, it happened before your senior year. Did you show up like first day of school, senior year, and everyone was like, holy shit. I I knew exactly where that was going. And they're like, who the hell is this guy? Like, (laughs) and I was so, I was so excited to get back. I'm like, dude, I'm kind of tall now. Like, like, this is going to be fun. And it was, it was a fun senior year. But the, the VLO that of course you're not known for today, did that come senior year or did that come later? So, uh, I started throwing a little harder my senior year. I was probably about 88, 92. Mm -hmm. And uh, I just I just couldn't maintain it, and uh, I was I was seriously I was I was really skinny, had no muscle, didn't work out a day in my life, and uh, I got Tommy John my freshman year at USF, and then kind of really rehab my ass off. You know, mm-hmm. I had to work to put on muscle in the weight room, and you know, develop my body if I wanted to sustain this. And mm-hmm. So I would say the velo jump came post Tommy John. So before we we jump to your your college career and, and of course getting drafted, we have to go back to the high school because we were doing a little research and we looked at your perfect game page. And I know that you didn't do that many you know showcases. You did one a little bit just before the draft in high school and you were drafted at a high school. But there is something that you actually have in common with my friend Jake Mintz here. Are uh, we on, both tens on the Zoom? Definitely not both tens. That's okay. for sure. Jake, what, you want to tell? Come Shane? on. We would like to guess what I, number. I he tried was? to give you credit right there, <laughs> didn't I? <laughs> Jake, so I was a Jake. seven and a half, seven and a half and proud. Okay. Hey, uh, give me one second. I got a loud dumpster rolling past me here on the concourse of Yankee Stadium. And thank you, sir. Uh, yeah, I was seven and a half and proud. Always have been, always will be. But the notable thing about my player page, Shane, is that at the end of it, it said excellent student. And, you know, I take a look at your player page and it says outstanding student. What is it better to be outstanding student or excellent student? I, you just you don't you don't throw that word outstanding out very often, you know. Uh, <laughs> I, I'm gonna I'm gonna side with myself. So here. you think outstanding I, is above excellent? I do. I, I, I do. No, but but I want to know is is what I mean. Listen, you're a smart guy. We've known you for for a while now. But but that's you know you don't just get outstanding no, student on your perfect game yeah. thing for nothing. So what do you think that was for? GPA was was sky high. Yeah, I, I, I had a four zero, but I mean I wanted to be a lawyer, and so. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, I had. I, listen, man, I didn't take baseball very seriously until post Tommy John when I started right. coming back doing a little hard. I'm like, well, maybe, maybe I should focus on this baseball stuff a little more. And uh, it was really, it was really nice to get out of all those really intense, like, intense classes. Yeah. So that's it's funny, right? Because for yeah. me, dude, like the reason it says excellent student on my page is because everyone knew that like you weren't going to play professional baseball. Like, <laughs> good thing. Like they had to say one nice thing on my page. But it is really great to see outstanding student. We should go into the perfect game back end and just compare SAT GPA scores between oh, yeah. you and no, I. Just honestly, so- I'm pretty sure you'd win. <laughs> I-, I think you'd win. Uh, listen, man, like I'll give you that credit where credit's due. Yeah. You know, kudos to you. You got me. But but to your point, you just said, okay, you wanted to be a lawyer. You wanted to. You weren't taking it seriously until after Tommy John. But then it was like it was it's on because when you come back and you're throwing as hard as you are and, yeah. you're, and you're performing the way that you are at USF. Now it's like, oh, man, I really do have to take this seriously. Yeah. So then how did what was that adjustment like? Because now you're like, oh, I'm not going to have to be a lawyer anymore. That's nice. But I really got to really got to get focused on throwing strikes and learning how to throw yeah, spin so a breaking ball. It was funny. It was uh, my first bullpen back. Um, I think I hit like 95 and I've never done that in my life ever. Okay. And, uh, first bullpen back after Tom John, you I, hit 95. Like first real bullpen, yeah, you know, yeah. like not just off the slope. Sure. And um, my pitching coach is like, hey, whoa, whoa, whoa. he's like, don't do that again. Dial it back a little bit. And uh, I was like, what do you mean? I didn't really think I was throwing that hard. And just because that's never, I've never honestly got it. I think it's been two years at that point since I've really been healthy. And right. uh, it, it felt good just get off the mound. And, you know, right then and there, I was like, man, this is, this is pretty cool. Like imagine if I, start taking this a little seriously and re, you know like really work towards this and think I maybe I might have a future it was probably the first time I really thought I had a future in baseball wow so you so really that, lived yeah. the scene from rookie of the year where they take the cast <laughs> off of Henry Rowan Gardner's arm and he just throws absolute cheddar hey man I'm no Henry Henry Rowan Gardner so you're not okay I'm, listen I they can't compare me to that guy that guy's on a 
different level. But, but but it's about as close to that experience because, like you said, you know, Tommy John now is like this accepted thing of baseball. But so much of it is about yeah, it's, being what you are when you were beforehand. But you're in that group that was suddenly so much stronger and better. So what? Yeah, I, I mean, wouldn't say suddenly. It yeah. was it was a 15 to 16 month process sure. of you know rehab every single day. Right. You know the weight room. The uh, you know it, it is a mental grind too. You, yep. you work on who you are as a person on and off the field mm-hmm. because you you know for the first time in my life I never had that that time off the baseball field just right. watching and so it, it was humbling for me it, it was a really good experience where I, I got to mature as a person as a player and you know I, I got I got stronger because of the work of it and I give my uh, a lot of credit to my my trainer at USF Josh Heron you know mm-hmm. I still text that guy to this day and mm-hmm. yeah I, I owe a lot of success to him he cared about you before a lot of other people did that stuff doesn't go away <laughs> Uh, I want to fast forward to your first year. It's true, man. Like the people who put the time and the work into you, or to you or to anybody, like before you make it big, like those are the people who you know care about you as a person and not just like because you're now rich and famous and like playing professional baseball. Like that's a big deal, you know? Um, I want to fast forward though to 2020. So you get popped by the Rays early in the draft. Wow. Think Things are going <laughs> well for you. You come up in 2020 and you make your debut in the playoffs in the yeah. COVID year at Petco Park of all freaking places. Walk us through the experience of, so, of one. Of, it is truly one of the most bizarre MLB debuts we've had in recent memory. Yeah, it was uh, truthfully. I thought I was getting like punked or something like that. <laughs> and uh, uh, Cash called me into the office with uh Neander and everybody. And so when is this exactly? This is 2020. I was uh, so at the end of September. Like this is before the yeah, postseason. Yeah, yeah. So okay, I got yeah. I got told I was going to be you know like on the taxi squad yep. and stuff like that. And so I went up to the trop and I was just happy with that. You know I right. just got done with the entire year at the alternate site and um, they called me into the office and <laughs> I'm like oh man what did I do? <laughs> and uh, they told me I'm like I, I was like are you sure? <laughs> like seriously like i was just blown away and uh right i, I seriously I, I i was numb and i tried to call my mom and dad but they both didn't answer oh no <laughs> so then what actually, do you do when your parents don't answer was, the i'm going to the big leagues because yeah. they're probably they probably weren't expecting it and i, I so tell the truth i think they expected maybe more than i did because i i've never once in my in my career or you know growing up come out of the bullpen right and so it was uncharted territory for me and uh i'll tell you what after that experience i really really took a more you know like look at the bullpen and be like man what you guys do is special you guys are some fucking pogs yeah I mean? oh like, absolutely yeah and and i think it's really interesting talking to pitchers who've kind of gone back and forth and now obviously you're yeah. clearly a starting pitcher but you know i was just talking to josh fleming uh yesterday about how yeah. he's kind of bouncing forth and you can kind of appreciate both sides absolutely. of it right? absolutely I, I what josh does is, is unbelievable you know mm-hmm. one day he's starting the next day he's coming in the third inning and his versatility is what makes him so unique and good in this game and Besides that, you know, 93 mile hour sinkers from hell. But, <laughs> right. you know, Josh has been doing it. He's, he's fun to watch. And, you know, we're lucky to have him. All right. So I want to ask you about your approach to pitching. So you throw really hard. And I think there's a perception among some fans that, like, guys who throw hard, the way that they approach hitters is just to try and blow them away. It's like how people no. assume that hot people are dumb. You know what I mean? But there are yeah, some hot people I'm sure who you guys are also get that smart. A lot, right? <laughs> yeah. He, he All knows the as time. Well. All the time. You know exactly what I'm talking about. So talk to us a little bit about about your approach to pitching (laughs) and how it's a little bit more sophisticated for you than just rear back, throw ball hard, past hitter. Yeah, no, me, me, no, throw ball hard every time. But like, (laughs) you know, it's one of those things where I I, I think my splits from last year were about pretty much equal, about 25, 25, 25. 25, you know, obviously. For for um, pitch type. Yeah, for pitch types. And um, excellent student. (laughs) <laughs> Thank you. I appreciate that. And, um, you know, it was one of those things where, you know, I've got, I, for, I forget who said it. it was, uh, was it Mantle who said, you know, I can, I can time a bullet up if I see it twice. Was it Mantle? That's, that's a great baseball quote. I actually haven't heard that one, but that's, that makes sense. If, yeah, it is I, very I relevant. Say, I don't know. I, I could be completely But you're wrong, thinking about it from the, from the pitching side. Absolutely. I'm trying to give credit where credit's due. And, mm-hmm. you know, these hitters are so advanced and so good at what they do. And, you know, there's a reason they're paid what they're paid is, right. you know, it, you know, throwing a fastball is really cool, but, they see it every single time, in my yeah. opinion. You know, they're going to make the adjustment and, and then end up beating you. And, you know, I've been victimized that, uh, victimized by that quite a bit. And, you know, I, I really had to learn how to become a complete pitcher, you know, throw off speed for strikes, you know, when how to sequence pitches. And so 
you know, my development just, you know, it, it, it took a few years. And I'm, you know, very thankful to have these guys help me out. But but to your point, you know, what's so amazing about your, your story is not just the, okay, you come back, you're throwing 95 for the first time ever. You debut after missing a whole season. You didn't pitch that much in the minors. You're learning all this really at the top level. Yeah, at the big leagues. And and, uh, and so what, what has that been like? Because this is a, a pretty rough place to kind of learn these things. Of course, you've had a lot of success, but I'm sure you've had some moments yeah. like, holy shit, like, I haven't done this that long and I'm now having to figure this out against the best hitters in the world. Yeah, you know, there's there's definitely been, definitely been some successes, but there's been plenty of failures and, you know, you got to learn from both of them. I, and personally, I think I learned more from my failures, whether it's, you know, not getting out of the second or, you know, giving up some runs or whatever. But it, it's one of those things where in 21, where I, you know, first got called up to be a starter, it was, uh, all right, you know, here's the ball, figure it out, work yeah. on some stuff and, you know, at the big league level. So, um but I think it goes back to, you know, kind of the preparation the Rays have done mm-hmm. with their development in the minor leagues and, you know, with the great staff, you know, Kyle Snyder, Brian Reith and mm-hmm. all these guys that I can mention, you know, it just like, it's like Todd Bradley, right? Yep. The guy looks ready. He is ready. And, you know, it, it's awesome to watch him do his thing. You know, we have that next man up mentality where it's, mm-hmm. yeah, it doesn't really matter who it is. They go out there and we're going to have the belief they're going to get it done. Right. So I think it just kind of circles back to that preparation. I want to I want to go back to the to the pitching approach thing. Yeah. We talk about okay, so yeah, you got a hundred. That's got to be fun to throw a hundred. But what would you what would you rather do? I'm going to give you four options. Rank these that give you the most pleasure. All right, four options: strikeout swinging, strikeout looking, broken bat, or pitch timer violation strikeout. Which I don't know if you've had one of those yet, but uh, I don't think I have. So we got <laughs> swinging, looking, pitch clock violation, broken, broken bat. bat. All right, rank uh, them. So Power rank those four. One is definitely swinging. Because swinging. Okay. The pitch was good enough that they thought they could hit it. Okay. And it, they missed. Uh huh. Um, I love a I love a backwards K. Ooh. Okay. It means you just which pitch is your favorite? Is it the fastball spotted up? Is it like landing I think, I think a hammer? It, I think a good fastball in the outside corner okay. or inside mm. is probably my favorite. Mm, delicious. Uh, yes. Yeah, okay. Number three is if, broken w- bat. Broken bat. So what? Again, broken bat. I mean, usually it's an inside pitch fastball. I'm sure you get a lot of those. Do you worry about that? Sometimes the bat comes flying back at you. It's terrifying. Is that have you ever had um, a situation like that? Luckily, I haven't had to worry okay. about that. Um, hopefully, that doesn't change. Yeah, you of know, course. That's obviously scary and mm-hmm. stuff like that. But. uh no, luckily I haven't. And then I think number four is pitch clock. Pitch, pitch clock. Okay, so it's going to happen at some point, all right? Yeah. To to a batter. I right? had one of those in the uh, in the uh, spring training this year. Actually. Spring training. So, you, yeah. so someone got strike yeah. three with you. I on asked the, the umpire. I said, does that does that count as a strikeout? <laughs> so I believe it does count yeah. for your stats. So how did you celebrate that? Maybe we can go find the video. But I think I, I threw the ball around myself. <laughs> it's just a unique opportunity. Turn around. I threw it. Yeah, threw it around. That's fantastic. I do love the idea. I do love the idea of like. Clutch situation, big spot, playoffs, two outs, pitch timer, strike out, and the pitcher just <laughs> loses it, just like pumping his fist like he did it. That fires me up. I got to say, Shane, we'll I, as a mediocre Division three college sidearm pitcher, I love a broken bat because mm-hmm. you were so much better than your opponent that you ruined their equipment. And yeah. you've never pitched in a pickup men's league, I hope. <laughs> um, but there is something about like ruining someone's day by breaking their equipment. Like they have to go to Models and like buy a new yeah. one. Right. Yeah. Where in the big leagues, like here's your yeah, new yeah. bat, like infinite. Bats. It's a different kind of thing. Yeah. Um, okay. We have two more questions for you. One, I, I know you just mentioned talking about Josh Fleming, you know, obviously you love your teammates. This race team has been off to an amazing start. We wanted to ask about Randy. Yeah. Because Randy, you were there in 2020 when he really, you know, got on the map, but mm-hmm. that was still in some empty ballparks and, you know, limited crowns, whatever. We just saw him in the WBC. You've now got to watch the Randy experience go from 2020 to now. What, when did you realize this cat's a little different, <laughs> both on the field and personality wise? So at the alternate site, um, Randy, I, I don't, I don't know if it was COVID or whatnot, but yep. he, he wasn't there for a couple weeks. Yep. And uh, they were trying to obviously, you know, streamline them back to the major leagues right, as quickly right, right, as right. they can. And uh, his first at bat back was against me in the on the alt side, the alternate. Okay, side. yes, I, I threw him probably like it was like 98, 99, like up and in. Yep, just absolutely tallywhacked it <laughs> down the line for like a stand up double. And I'm like, who is this guy? You're like, weren't you on your couch for the yeah, last no, two yeah, weeks? Because uh, I think that's part of the story. I'm, he I'm had COVID he was, and he yeah. was like stuck in his room for, for weeks at a time. And then he came back and just roped a double yeah, off. I'm, I'm not even kidding. He was probably there for a day and a half. And 
They're like, all right, we got to get him back to the big leagues. A couple of days later, <laughs> hitting a homer every yeah, was, every time in the postseason. It was pretty cool. And now he's like one of the most famous players in baseball. Yeah, yeah which is, is awesome. I think it's good for Randy. You know, Randy's a very very special player, and you know, I feel like we have a couple of those guys on our team. And mm-hmm. you know, the Randy story is unbelievable. You know, the work he puts in and yep. the results speak for themselves. Yeah. Um. So our last From question a, well, here. I just want one oh last yeah, go thing, ahead. One last thing about Randy, like what I love about Randy Shane is like we don't have a lot of baseball players who want to be famous. And I think that is just part of the way that baseball culture operates is like 162 games, 26 guys. There's so much is about like being a part of the team. And Randy is obviously that too, right? I'm not saying he's not, but the fact that he is willing to like be famous and sign and do these outrageous things on the field while doing the stuff that he needs to is so good for baseball because it's just such a unique flavor that we see in other sports a lot. And Randy has the personality to make it both work. And I just like personally, I just think that that's awesome. It's so different. And I just vibe with it so hard. Yeah, I agree with you 100%. I think what Randy, what Randy does for the game is it's, it's awesome. It's allowing to grow the game in places they didn't expect to grow in. And, uh, you know, kids turns on their TV and sees the, uh, you know, the arms crossed. They right. like that. It's everywhere. It's, it's, awesome. it's amazing how yeah. simple a thing it's at every level of baseball. You're seeing it in other sports. Like it's, yeah. it's outstanding. So, right, yeah, go ahead. I'm, I'm right there with you guys. Yep. What Randy Rose Rain is doing is awesome. And yep. he's great for the game. All right. So here's our last question. Randy Rose Rain is one of your best series. You guys have been raking this year, obviously. One thing that is missing from your baseball official resume, both in college and in the pros, what are you going to say right now? Is <laughs> nervous uh, and at bat, a oh, plate no. appearance. Yeah, yeah, okay, yeah. so take me through your last at bat. Sure. Where was it? What level? How old were you? And what happened in it? And then give me a little scouting report for Shane McClanahan, the hitter. It was it was in 2015 in high school. I was a yep. senior, and uh, I hit a line drive right center, and the center fielder made a good play. Are you lefty? Yeah, I'm a lefty. Okay, left, left. Zero so, juice at the time. Though, so I was, I was a double. But you you guy. lined one up. You yeah. lined one to center. Yep. Okay, and Gotta so makes a play. Where, where, where were you batting in the in the in lineup? Two-hole. So <laughs> this is this is the thing, right? This is the thing. Is every what percentage of major league pitchers were batting second or third on their high school team? I'd probably Everybody. say a good amount. Of them. <laughs> I'd probably say a good amount. Like okay. people are like, "Oh, you batted three hundred in high school." I'm like, "Yeah, but it's not that impressive." <laughs> but, okay, like, but but to your point. What um when's the last so when's the last time you picked up a bat? That's the last time you faced live pitching. Obviously, have you picked up a bat since then and stood in against anybody? I hope not, but no, we're not I, trying to get I you think, in trouble. No, but no, I think you know the answer to that question. I, I the only really I love thing I do. What's that? I love the idea. Like you, you get that line out in in high school, yeah. and you're like, "That's it for me." Thank you, everybody. That's no, no, the end no, of my the, career. The funny thing was that was one of the better hit balls I've probably had all year. <laughs> that and, was your uh, last one. I hit it. And I'm like, I'm okay with that. Like, I'm okay. That's how I go. If that's I'm how I go right out that. at that point. You still think about yeah. being a lawyer. Forget about, you know, throwing a hundred. Well, I, it's funny now. I actually, so, you know, as, as time got it passes by and I've, you know, gotten out of college and I've actually realized it's like, man, you know, once I get done with baseball, I think I want to become a pilot. Yeah. And, uh, I've breaking actually, news. I've I mean, actually asked the Rays. I'm like, Hey, do you think I can, you know, take some lessons in the off season? Oh my like, gosh. Let's get back to you on that. And, they asked me to hold off, which I understand completely. But yeah, that's you know that's one thing that I feel like a lot of people in this game have is a passion for something outside of baseball. Absolutely. And, oh my uh, gosh! I figured out what it was, and you know, hopefully, I just have a successful career outside of baseball when I get done too. Oh my god! Well, it sounds like uh, Shane's uh, uh, dreams of being in the sky is a whole other podcast. But I appreciate you dropping that on us. I don't know if you've said that elsewhere, but if you're breaking, yeah, I've mentioned. Yeah, you yeah, mentioned. mentioned it. Okay. It. Well, that's that's a hell of a dream. Uh, more interesting than being a lawyer. <laughs> Yeah, best of luck moving forward, both with your on-field and in-flight dreams, Maverick. We'll be behind you the whole way. I thought I was the hefty lefty. Oh, I see. We've made progress throughout this interview. (laughs) Quick, honest thing about the hefty lefty. So the reason I said that is because I played in a pickup softball game in New York a couple days ago, and the opposing team had, like, custom names on the back. And this one guy had the hefty lefty. Hefty lefty. And I was like, I'm going to call Shane McClanahan that when I talk to him in two days. There you go. They call me Big Mac. So uh, yeah, B- Big Mac versus Hefty Lefty is, is are they synonyms? Uh, who's to say? Uh, Shane McClanahan, thank you so much for joining us, uh, and we will talk to hey, you again uh, soon. Hey, one serious note though. Yeah. Uh, so there's one thing I always like to promote is oh, please. Um, there's this organization called Buddy Baseball. Mm-hmm. It's a special needs baseball program mm-hmm. where um, you know they're always looking for volunteers to come out and help the kids out on the weekends. And you know if you have any if you have any free time, you know please check it out and. It's, it's 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 very fulfilling and the kids have a blast. Buddy Baseball is the organization. Yeah.
check that out. Shane McClanahan recommended, and uh, that is a fantastic cause. We appreciate that. Yeah, we normally ask players, oh, you know, where can they find your work? But that's a much more worthy yes. cause. Like, you know where to yeah. find his work. You just turn on the TV. Uh, Shane McClanahan, thank you so much, and we'll uh, talk to you again soon. Thank you guys for having me. I really appreciate it. And welcome back to Baseball Barbercast. Thanks again to Shane McClanahan for joining us. And in honor of Shane McClanahan, who this season so far uh, in his first handful of starts has thrown four pitches, just four, just four pitches, 100 miles an hour, at least 100.0. We're not rounding up from 99.6, 100.0. Shane McClanahan, one of just a handful of starting pitchers who has thrown 100 miles an hour. Before we get to our conversation about Hunter Green, who's also on this list I'm about to uh, talk about, I wanted to do a little check-in on Club Hundo, as we call it, as I am starting to call it now. The pitchers who, in baseball, can throw 100 miles an hour in the major leagues. Because, yes, as much as we talk about, oh, Velo's up more than ever. That's true. That's true. That doesn't mean everyone is throwing 100. It means more guys you haven't heard of are throwing 100. And more guys are throwing 98. And more guys are throwing 98. And everyone's throwing 94. (laughs) That's that's really the the better way to phrase it. Um, But I wanted to check in on this because it's always fun to see once you have every year. There's there's a couple new new names throwing 100 in the big leagues. And I just wanted to see how many of these guys you can. I'm not going to I'm not going to force you to to, you know, I'm not going to I'm not going to have you struggle too much. But Jake, there are. 22 pitchers as of this morning that have thrown a pitch 100 miles an hour in the big leagues this season. And I would love to know how many of them you can name. Do you have any thoughts about this before uh, no. we, we proceed? Shane McClanahan, Hunter Green. 20 guys left. Okay. <laughs> Nicely done. Hey, all right. All right. Good job, Jacob. I'm so, so proud of you. Uh, Jacob DeGrom. Jacob DeGrom. He has thrown 15 pitches. Uh, uh, wrist soreness. Sure. Uh, 15 pitches, hundred miles an hour on that IL with he's on that IL due to lack of dog in him. Um, I, I will say, uh, Spencer Strider, Spencer Strider has not. Wow. Spencer Strider has not thrown a pitch hundred miles an hour. This is also why I want to talk about this. He maxed out last night. Amazing. I mean, he's been great. It's not like he's disappointed. I believe 99.7 last night. So Spencer Strider, who last year threw over 70 pitches, hundred miles an hour, has not done that this year. I almost wonder if that's on purpose um, to some degree. Probably not exactly, but I, I, I'm, I'm really curious about that. That's something to kind of monitor. Is this because starters and relievers? Yep. yep. Oh, okay. Uh, Ryan Helsley. Ryan Helsley's at six. He's thrown 26 pitches. Yep. Uh, Jordan Hicks. Jordan Hicks is number two behind Hunter Green with 63, and he has been horrible. <laughs> Felix Bautista. Felix Bautista's at number five. He's thrown 27. Reynaldo Lopez. Reynaldo Lopez. That is the fun one. A classic case of, hey, maybe just go air it out. I know he also worked on some stuff in the offseason. He also hasn't been that good, but he has thrown 26 pitches over 100 miles an hour, and that has been fun to watch. Dustin May. Dustin May. Nicely done. Three pitches. He is, I mean, I know the numbers are okay so far, but he looks back, man. He looks like Dustin May, like full, fully operational. Yeah, he got absolutely lit up the other night. I've yes. never seen a guy look better and get hit so hard. Uh, <laughs> him and Brewstar Gratterall, who's on this list? Brewstar is not on this list, okay. uh, surprisingly. So that that is... That uh, is Duran? Not- Duran, yes. Duran's the number three. He threw another 13 last night. He His inning <laughs> against the Red Sox in the ninth last night, which was, I believe it was Devers, Justin Turner, and Yoshida. I mean, talk about no chance. I literally throwing 99 <laughs> mile an hour splitters. It was insane. I know the Red Sox ended up walking off. Duran is amazing. He's number three. He's thrown 55 pitches at 100. And he led baseball last year even more than Hunter Green uh, with the uh, most. He, he really is, I think, the, our, our, our hardest throwing starter. How about Classe? Classe has not, uh, which okay. surprised me, actually. Um, I know he's really mostly throwing cutters, but yeah, he somehow has not. I was surprised by that. Okay, then I'll go with oh, uh, the guy in the Royals, uh, Carlos Hernandez. Carlos Hernandez, gas in the WBC. This is another reason because did you see what happened to Carlos Hernandez yesterday? No, (laughs) five runs, no outs. (laughs) But he's thrown a hundred. You tweeted, yes, he he has. He has still thrown eight pitches uh, over a hundred miles an hour. Otani or Cole? Otani. Once Otani has okay. thrown one strikeout on opening day, 
he has one, but Garrett Cole uh, is not. He might have some 99 point whatever, but do not have an over 100 for Garrett Cole. Okay, uh, let me, two relievers here. I'll do Sir Anthony Dominguez and I'll do Matt Brash. Nope, nope. Good guesses, good guesses. Definitely some other relievers you could you could probably guess, and then I'll okay. I'll, I'll, uh, I'll save you here. But you're you're doing great, so I'm uh, I'm enjoying this. Gregory Soto, Gregory Jose Soto, Jose Alvarado. No, Alvarado. Yes, Alvarado has thrown 15, so that's one of them. Yep. Okay, and then um, you're missing one in the top five who we have talked about, and really only one other obvious one or couple couple other. But you're you're doing pretty well. I'm I'm pretty proud of you. This has been a, a really strong effort. Sandy? No. Sandy? Yes. Sandy okay. has thrown three. So he's he's on here. He's on here. Um, here's here's uh, one, Jake. Edwin one Diaz. Who? Oh, who was your guess? Edwin Diaz. Ooh. I mean, yes. The answer is yes. Okay. <laughs> he <laughs> did it in the WBC. So <laughs> that, that no, that does not count. Um, here's a, here's a fun hint. One of them happened last night at the game you were at. And it was his only one of the year. Ron Marinaccio? <laughs> no. No. Were you there for the whole game? I don't, I don't know if you saw I it. was. Yeah. 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 Okay. No. Was, was it, it an wasn't. angel? No. 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 It was, okay. Uh, so it was a Yankee. It was, oh, uh, uh, Jimmy Cordero. <laughs> Jimmy Cordero last night. 100.1 to Taylor Ward for ball one. Uh, but he got on there. So he's he's the most recent addition. For ball one. For ball one. <laughs> for ball one. <laughs> Uh, but you, 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 I mean, you, you've done great. Um, although, I'll tap. I'll tap. Okay, up. you're tapping here. The remainders on the list: uh, Araldus Chapman, who I, I mean, I know you know that Duh, one. That's fine. Yeah. You haven't thought about him. Um, Gregory Santos, also in the White Sox mess of a bullpen, has thrown 21 pitches over 100. They got him from the Giants right before uh, the season. So we have him. We have Camilo Doval, who I thought yeah, that would one. I would have guessed you would have gotten. Carlos Vargas. Do you know who Carlos Vargas is? Uh, he's a baseball player, I believe. He, is, he sure is a baseball player. Uh, he's with the Diamondbacks. They acquired him from Cleveland in the offseason. Andres Munoz, who's now hurt, but he oh, uh, yeah. had had five. Um, and then Brian Abreu had two. And then the last two are Joe Kelly, somehow still throwing 100, <laughs> got one. And your man, Hunter Harvey. Hunter Harvey. Hunter, <laughs> Hunter Harvey. Harvey. Uh, just Harvey. can I quickly say why I love Hunter Harvey? Yes. I don't know if people know who Hunter Harvey is. He is now a reliever for the Papu Washington Nationals, but he was a first round pick by the Orioles back in 2017, I believe. Maybe 2016. That, right? When was his draft? He was drafted in 2013. Yeah. Wow. Dude. Holy shit. <laughs> Okay, we we are uh, yes, Hunter Harvey. I remember okay. this well. Mm-hmm. So he's a first round pick in 2013, and like when guys get drafted, they're all committed out of high school. They're all committed to colleges, and mostly that's for leverage, so they can say like, "Oh, I'm not going to sign, pay me more money. I'm going to go to school." They have Hunter Harvey on the the draft show, and they're like, "Hey, man, like, how you feeling?" And he's like, "Man, I'm so excited. Like, I I never want to go to school. Like, I hate school. I'm definitely not going to college. I'm definitely going to sign." And he like cost him like two million dollars, like a million dollars. <laughs> yeah, who's to say exactly how much? But that that is called the opposite of um, activating your leverage. <laughs> it's incredible. So, I hate school. I'm not yeah, going. So it's like, ooh, sounds like he's signable. <laughs> so that is uh, yes, good times, Hunter Harvey. But anyway, um, so thank you, thank you for playing that game. And just to give you a, a general sense for the difference between 99 and 100, if you lower the threshold to 99, it doubles the list. You have 44 pitchers, 45 pitchers that have thrown uh, something, uh, pitch at least one pitch, 99 miles an hour. And that's where you get, you know, Matt Brash and Ryan Stanek um, and guys like that. So uh, that is that is the difference. It is it is definitely, uh, a, and Strider, you know, Strider's on there too. So Classe has got a bunch there. So, um, but yeah, that's that's current, current club hundo. We will see who else adds their name to that list. But the guy at the very top is really the reason we are, are c- combining this into one podcast discussion is that Hunter Green has signed an extension with the Cincinnati Reds. I believe he's doing a press conference in Cincinnati about 10 minutes from now. If I was not recording this podcast, I would probably be there to be like, hey, Hunter Green, you extended in Cincinnati. This is the kind of guy that if the casual baseball observer, to be to put it frank, would be like, oh, Hunter Green, like he's going to play out of this time in Cincinnati and then he's going to go to the Dodgers or go to the Yankees because he is I mean, he's been one of the most famous players, you know, his age and one of the most famous high school players we've had over the last 10, 15 years. He's now, you know, just a pitcher, but 
still one of on the short list for could be the best pitcher in baseball. I really do believe that. He is the kind of guy that if it all comes together, that is what it looks like. And his rookie season was a very interesting example of the good and the bad of Hunter Green, where he was throwing harder than every other starting pitcher. He was giving up a ton of home runs. He was striking out a ton of guys. And largely, he was healthy. And that, for a 22-year-old or 23-year-old starting pitcher, to me, felt like a success. And now the Reds have managed to uh, extend him for a deal when you compare it to the one Spencer Strider signed coming off a much better season, uh, but still one where you know both about the same age. Strider's a little bit older, but both coming off their rookie years. Strider got significantly more guaranteed money. But it's an interesting comparison because there's not that many guys that you could really say, all right, like, what is this? How are you going to throw 100 miles an hour as a starting pitcher forever? How are you going to hold up? But the talent is undeniable. I think that's kind of why, if you're Hunter Green, this deal makes sense because he knows more than anybody, your arm can go kablooey at any time. And he already got TJ. Yep. Of course, but you get it again. Yeah. I mean, it happens. I hope we hope it doesn't. But, you know, throwing that hard is really bad for you. Physically, it is, okay? Mm-hmm. And so we are pretty sure that Hunter Green, guy who throws 100, will be able to get a lot of outs in the big leagues, right? Mm-hmm. He was a an av- league average pitcher last year without, have any, without any idea of what he was doing. He was just chucking the pill. Mm-hmm. Compared to like a guy who's throwing like 96 with who can really spin it and spot it, we're like, oh, that guy could do this for 10 more years. With Green, you're like, well, I hope he can do it for another five before the velo goes down. And so that's kind of why I think this deal makes sense. Comparing him to Strider, I would take Strider like every single time for the two of them. I just think like the metrics on Strider's fastball beyond the velocity make that pitch so much more special than Green's heater and give Strider a lot more leeway to throw it by people in the zone. Mm-hmm. And so just for that reason, I'm more in on Strider and I think is part of why he was so good. So like at the same time last year in their rookie seasons and part of why I would take him moving forward and part of why he got more money. I agree. And just for the, again, I should probably say the numbers. So Strider got six years, 75 million uh, as, and whereas green uh, got six years and 53 guaranteed there's escalators that can push it to over 90 and there's a club option, whatever, but that is, that is the difference. And I think that's fair. What you just said to me, the argument for green is that while the fastball, if you're just talking about the fastball, obviously Strider, just everything about it, while the velo is is not far behind and everything else about it is so much better, the upside with Green's other two pitches is greater to me than Strider's. And now obviously he's got a long way to go. Um, but every time he's flashed the slider and every time he's flashed the changeup, it's like, holy shit, like that can be there for him. And he's still just figuring it out. He's still so young and still so you know athletically gifted. So... I'm I'm in like I really think that this is a, a fascinating. I mean, it's it's quite an achievement for the Reds. Like they, this is again, this is this is clearly a building block. And with him and, and Lodolo, and you know, hopefully Ashcraft will see. Like it's going to be more about how they're going to develop their hitters if they're going to really come into the you know become a, a legitimate team in the in the NL Central anytime soon. And we'll see with those prospects that's going to happen over the next couple of years. But green is a great place to start, and and it, it is cool to see him kind of kind of lock in there. That that it is it is I, I you got to give credit where credit is due, and there's a lot of other reasons to criticize Reds ownership. Uh, but as far as, as the front office goes, like this is this is a really nice deal for them. The ownership group led by the Castellini family, one of the largest produce distributors in the country, they're gonna have to sell some veggies, baby, if they want to pay for this Hunter Green extension. So go out if you're in the Cincinnati area and buy some apples. It was it was a, it was a hilarious back to back because Monday night Green started and I was at that game and he got hit with the comebacker in the third inning on his leg. It wasn't serious, but he ended up leaving the game a little bit early. And that game was the lowest attended game in ballpark history. Uh, tw- <laughs> over Congrats. twenty years, Great American Congrats. Ballpark raised on a Monday night. I mean, the best team in baseball, but raised on a Monday night, pretty chilly. 7,500 and now it's still like, you know, triple what they're getting in Oakland. But uh, it was the lowest of game ever, right? And so it was very funny to watch that. And they were like, 
damn, we got to do something. <laughs> it's like, I mean, obviously that's not how this worked, but it was just a very funny thing uh, to go back and forth with that. So uh, congrats to Hunter Green. I'm excited to get to watch him, you know, go into a lot of Reds games. He really is a very fun pitcher to watch and uh, just excited to see how he can get better because every time out, there's a possibility that he's just going to, you know, mow down 16 and, you know, have one of the best starts that any pitcher is capable of. So congrats to the Reds. Congrats to Hunter Green. Another pitcher that Jordan Schusterman is very excited about is Mason Miller, one of the top prospects, top pitching prospects in baseball, coming up, making his big league debut today mm-hmm. on Wednesday so. for the Oakland yep. Athletics. Jordan, tell everybody what makes Mason Miller interesting, different, and notable. Well, the first thing is you just wrote an excellent piece about the A's, or indirectly about the A's, and how they are the worst team in baseball. And what what to do? What, what is the upside? Why should you watch them? Uh, last night again, they they got well. Actually, last night the pitching wasn't that bad. <laughs> it's really been a pitching issue. The offense didn't show up last night against the Cubs, but the pitching has been, I will just say, without numbers to back it up. Sarah Langs, if you're listening, please provide me some. Historically horrific to start this season. We talked a little bit about it at the end of last week. Uh, just how bad this this A's pitching staff has been, particularly the starters. And so that is why you are calling on a gentleman named Mason Miller, who in his career has made 10 starts in the minor leagues, including two this season and just six last season as well. Oh, I guess six plus another six in the fall league last year. Who is Mason Miller? Mason Miller is from Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. And Mason Miller attended Division Three Waynesburg University at Waynesburg University, his ERA was over seven. For those of you who do not follow Division Three baseball uh, like us, all you need to know about Waynesburg is that they are an average to below average team in one of the 10 worst conferences in Division Three baseball, which in theory is the lowest level of college baseball in some sense. Yeah. Obviously, we don't totally believe that, but sure, okay? And he had a seven ERA. This is one part of the story that I don't remember uh, fully uh, understanding when I have been talking about Mason Miller at our D3 outlets is the fact that after his sophomore year, Mason Miller was diagnosed with type 1 diabetes. And that was a big part of why he, in high school and in his early years, he could not put on weight because he did not know at all how, like he just had this he just had this issue, he's putting on weight, and he eventually got a diagnosis because he finds out he has a type 1 diabetic. He changes his diet. He puts on a ton of weight. He finds, figures out how to put on a ton of weight. He's obviously, you know, taking care of, of a, a very serious diagnosis. He starts throwing harder. And then his junior year, he's amazing. He's one of the best pitchers in D3 baseball. And I remember at the time, we were getting messages like, you got to check out this Mason Miller guy. And there's all kinds of guys putting up crazy numbers in D3 baseball, and we never really know what to make of it. But it's like, yeah, he's throwing hard and he's dominating, you know, Geneva College. It's like, all right, awesome. Really? Congrats to Mason Miller. 2020 happens. That's his senior year. It gets shortened. After 2020, he transfers to D1 Gardner-Webb because at this point now he's really throwing hard and he's trying to get drafted. He's trying to play professional baseball. But after, so he strikes out 120 guys in 92 innings at Gardner-Webb, but he's almost 23 years old. And that's not the kind of guy that has a ton of draft leverage. But because of how good the stuff was, particularly the fastball, not just the velocity, but the metrics behind it, he goes in the third round to the A's and gets almost a $600,000 signing bonus. And at that point, it's like, oh my God, like think about how quickly this happened for him. We just talked earlier with Shane McClanahan about how quickly it happened for him. Imagine this guy, 70 RA at a D3 school, and now he's going in the third round. Well, fast forward another two years, and now Mason Miller is about to be in the big leagues because the fastball that in college was averaging about 96 and was up to 99 is now averaging 100 miles an hour. In his only AAA start, which he made this season, he had five nearly perfect innings, the only batter reaching on a uh, a drop third strike. His fastball averaged 100 miles an hour, which is just insane. He threw 23 pitches over 100 miles an hour. This is last week uh, against Salt Lake. And that would alone put him, you know, in the top 10 of 100 mile an hour pitches in the big leagues this year. And the question with this is like, how, how, how can this guy who's been doing this for such a short amount of time hold up as a starter? If you're the A's, who cares? Let's see what you got. 
He's got some of the best stuff in the minor leagues. Who cares how quickly it's come? Who, who cares, you know, whether it's going to hold up? You need to try something. He's getting outs as well. And this could be, you know, one of the great discoveries in, in recent, you know, pitching development history. I mean, it is a truly unbelievable trajectory. And the fact that he's just the third player from the 2021 draft to reach the major leagues behind Chase Silseth last year for some reason with the Angels and then Dylan Dodd earlier this season uh, before making it before any of the other first rounders or any of the other you know famous guys that signed for millions of dollars is, is unbelievable. Of course, some of that has to do with the A's historically terrible pitching. And if he was in a better organization, they wouldn't be rushing him to the big leagues as much. But I'm fascinated. I'm fascinated. I'm excited to see uh, what he can be. And I, I know A's fans are really excited about it. And, and by proxy, I'm excited for them. Last little bit of news here. Pablo Lopez with the Twins. An extension, four years, $73.5 signing out three of his free agent years. That trade with the Marlins, the Luis Arise pablo Lopez trade, is looking like an all-time win-win. Probably deserves a little bit more exploration in depth. We're running out of time on this show, but... Awesome for the Twins. They have a dude they can just put on the mound every day, every year on opening day. They passed on Barrios. They chose someone else. They somehow maybe knew. What did they know? Who knows? But they've decided to make Pablo Lopez that guy, and I'm happy for him, and I'm happy for the Twins. Last little, anything on that? No, I just like, the Twins have been fascinating this year because their pitching has been amazing and their offense has been poop. (laughs) <laughs> and that's just not what I'm used to for the Twins. So I have to adjust my, my recalibrate for what this team is. Pablo Lopez, huge part of that. Mookie Betts, will, he was on the paternity list. Congrats on the fatherhood, dude. He is going to be back tonight for the Dodgers playing shortstop because the Dodgers are currently an unserious outfit. Is it cool that Mookie Betts can play shortstop? Yeah, it's cool. Will I watch it? Yeah, I'll watch it. Does it tell us something about the Dodgers that maybe they are not prepared for this season and they punted last offseason for the sole purpose of shining, signing Shoya Otani? Yeah, that's okay. Yeah, here's first of all, it's hilarious how quickly we went from like, oh my God, Mookie's going to play second again to, oh my God, Mookie's going to play shortstop. <laughs> to, uh, I love that. My theory on this too, in addition to what you just said, which I totally agree with, is that Mookie's bored. Right. I know that this is also out of necessity, but clearly the Mookie second base thing is he was like, I listen, I've already done everything. Like, can I just try? Can I go back? Like, this is more fun to do this. So I'll do this with Team USA. I'll do this with this. And so he's like, oh, shortstop. Sure. Whatever. Um, he did play there for his first two years in the minors. So, you know, I think <laughs> totally I think insane. he'll be like a 30th percentile defender at short and we'll spend more time there than we like than we think. I think there's a chance he plays a lot of short because Rojas has been terrible and Miguel Vargas has been terrible at second base. And like they just need some sort of production out of their infield and their outfielders have actually been OK between Peralta and James Outman, who looks like legit and Thompson yep. and Thompson. So like they got to find somewhere else to get Mookie's bat in the lineup. God, like it's- Rojas has been rough. Uh, Peralta has also been really bad, but, um, but yes. Oh, wow. Out- he has been, I didn't yeah, realize Outman, how bad he's been. Outman and Thompson and, and JD's been, been swinging it, uh, as a D. And Hayward. So, Hayward. Yeah. Hayward's, Hayward's slugging 538. We love to see it. Uh, but yeah, so I, I, I agree. Like this might now just become a normal thing. I don't think there's a reason we've gotten to this point. It is concerning. Um, but man, like I, I wasn't expecting the Gavin Lux injury to lead to Mookie Betts playing shortstop, but here we are. Uh, and it is cool. It's also like quite a luxury. This is also kind of why you signed Mookie Betts forever is that like this is an option for him, which is amazing. That cannot be understated. Very quickly. This is stupid. But when you go to baseball reference and you pull up a team page, you have the pictures of the top 12 players by war at the top. And because it's so early in the season, one good game can do wonders for you. And in the case of one Mr. Austin wins a journeyman backup catcher who was signed by the Dodgers when Will Smith went down. And then in his debut game for the Dodgers on Monday night, went one for three with a double. He is already in the top 12 in war for the Dodgers. And so his picture is up on the page in a Giants hat. Yeah, wasn't he on the funny. Giants like last week or like two weeks last ago? Last year, I think. Last yeah. year. Oh my God. It's great. That is so funny. Um, and James Outman, you know, leading the charge there. No, I, Austin Wins played for the Giants this season. So that's amazing. All right. One final thing, Jake Mintz, tomorrow evening, I believe in Arizona, 
Fernando Tatis Jr. will take the field for the San Diego Padres. This will obvious, almost certainly be how we lead the show on Friday, but we just wanted to remind everyone that that is about to happen. He has returned from his legendary uh, rehab stint with the El Paso Chihuahuas, where he homered every single time. And now he's going to go play for the Padres. And let me tell you, Jake, they kind of need him because this offense has been really bad (laughs) besides Xander Bogarts. That is not just Juan Soto, but also Manny Machado. Uh, And uh, yeah, they could really use, you know, one of the best players in baseball batting leadoff. What a freaking luxury to have that guy coming back. Yeah, I'm super duper not worried about the Padres. I just want to say they're, they're three games under 500 right now. It is April 19th. There were quotes from Machado about like, yeah, we're not hitting well right now, but when we start raking in a month, like make sure you're on the bandwagon. He's right. Like they're going to hit. I'm not worried about this team, about this lineup in particular, but having a little, uh, you know, this is the equivalent of, of attaching jumper cables to your toes and, and, you know, setting an electric jolt through them in the form of Fernando Tatis Jr. Yeah. Gonna help to have him in right field and not Rugnet Odor. So that that feels like a nice little step up for the old dads. So looking forward to that. We'll talk about that on Friday. Thanks again to Shane McClanahan for joining us on this episode of Baseball Barbercast. Thank you to Chris Tyler for producing as always. Thank you, Jake Mintz, for joining me on this podcast and taking a trip into Club Hundo. And we'll be back on Friday to discuss Fernando Tatis's four-homer game in Arizona. Serious XM Podcasts.